What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Northview Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're taking time to listen to today's message. Northview is a place for you to grow closer to others and to grow closer to God. We would love to meet you in person and have you visit us at any one of our campuses. You can find a campus near you or get more information about Northview by visiting us online at northviewchurch.us. Now, let's join our senior pastor, Steve Poe, for this week's message. Well, guys, today is our final week. It's week four of our series, True North. And in this particular series, if you're our guest today, we've been talking about that there is a difference between True North and Magnetic North. There's a difference between True North and Magnetic North. True North is actually a a fixed point in the North Pole. It, It never changes, it never moves. While Magnetic North is a direction that the compass needle will point as it aligns with the Earth's magnetic field. And it's not a fixed point. And it determines, actually is, determines where you're standing in the world when you use that compass. Because it's always shifting in response to the changes of the Earth's magnetic core. Now magnetic north is almost always off a degree or two from true north. Now, some people hear that and they oftentimes argue, so Steve, what's the big deal if we're only off a few degrees? And the example that I've been giving every week is that if you were in a rocket ship headed to the moon and you were only off one degree, doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal, but by the time you got there, you would miss the moon by 4,169 miles. Now, I had a, I had a gentleman come up to me after last weekend's surface service and he said Steve did you also know that if you're trying to make a 20 foot putt <laughs> and you're only off one degree that you'll miss the hole by four inches and I thought well there's a lot of guys that'll want to hear that and so that's why I'm I'm sharing that with you today hopefully it'll help well in a similar in a similar way I hope that you can see that we're living in a culture today guys The world that we're living in today where everyone's compass is pointed in different directions. There are so many different philosophies and ideals and ideas and values and worldviews that will actually pull you away from what is true north. And if you continue to follow them, you'll find yourself at a destination that you never intended to go. So then how in the world can we find true north? We've asked that question every week and we said Jesus was very clear in John chapter 14. He answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I am a way, he said I am the way. He didn't just say I speak truth, he said I'm the very definition of what truth is. And he said I am life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way, my friends. Jesus is the only way to find true north. Now there may be some of you who say, you know what, Steve, there was one point in my life where I was headed true north. But the pull of this world just continues to get me off course. I I try to refocus and I try to get back, but before I know it, the things of this world have pulled me off again. The truth is, my friends, listen to me, please. It is a constant battle for every single one of us. The things of this world are always trying to pull us like a magnet. They're trying to pull us off of true north. Do you know why? Well, Jesus told us why in John chapter 10. He said the thief, which we're talking about Satan or the enemy or the devil, the thief, he comes only. The only reason he comes is to steal and kill and destroy. 
Jesus is writing this and he says, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Guys, the enemy is out to steal your joy. He's out to kill your hope. He's out to destroy your confidence. He wants to tempt you, he wants to deceive you, and he wants to lie to you. And that's why it's called spiritual warfare. I'm sure you've heard it referred to that as referred to that before, but it's called spiritual warfare. It's a constant battle that's taking place in our life. And that's why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. So we always want to be heading, we always want to be focused on him, and we always want to be heading true north. We said that in John's gospel, Jesus gave us seven I am statements. Do you remember those? Seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life and I am the true vine. He gives us these seven I am statements that are, well, you could say they're metaphors, they're a word picture, they're an illustration to help us better understand who Jesus is. And more importantly, how, to, how we can have a relationship with him. He doesn't want us to, to walk around confused. You know, we talk about how important it is to follow Jesus and somebody says, okay, I'll make the decision to follow Christ, but I don't really understand who Christ is. Well, he doesn't want us to be in the dark. He doesn't want us to be confused. And so all throughout scripture, but specifically in these seven statements, he's trying to bring clarity. Now these statements all elevate him to titles that can only be claimed by God. We're looking for four uh, titles that we've talked about during this series. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the true vine. We looked at, remember week one on Easter weekend, I am the resurrection. And I simply said, no resurrection, no Christianity. I don't know how to make it any more clear than that. No resurrection, no Christianity. Throughout the, throughout the centuries, there have been hundreds of people that have claimed to be God. But the difference between Jesus and every other person that's ever claimed to be God is Jesus is the only one that rose from the grave. He conquered death. There lies the difference. No resurrection, no Christianity. Then we look the next week at I am a good shepherd. And we said that the illustration is that we're all sheep. And let me just tell you guys, sheep are not very bright animals. And so when he used this as an illustration, well, uh, it kind of makes sense. And I don't know if you guys saw this on social media or not, but half the church sent it to me, so I think most of you did. But I'm, I think we're gonna show it to you. He's pulling a sheep out. You remember I told you a sheep will get stuck between two rocks? He pulls this sheep out of that, now watch. <laughs> there you go, sheep. So the Bible uses sheep as an illustration to help us understand that maybe at times we're not real bright. Well, the shepherd wants to do what? The shepherd wants to guide the sheep. The shepherd wants to lead the sheep true north. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus said, I am the door. There's only one door to salvation. There is only one door to salvation, and Jesus, the great shepherd, is the door that you have to go through. Well, today we're gonna look at I am the true vine. And in John chapter 15, verse one, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In this analogy, in this particular analogy, Jesus says our heavenly father is the gardener, 
And Jesus is saying that he is the vine, and then we're gonna see it in a few minutes, but later on in verse five, we're gonna see that you and I are the branches. And so it's important to understand that the vine is sustenance, the vine is the sustenance of life for the branches, okay? Jesus is the vine, you and I are the, the branches. Now when Jesus said that I am the true vine, his disciples, you have to understand when he's given this illustration, when he's given this analogy, the disciples would immediately think of the Old Testament because Israel had always been considered the vine. In fact, in Isaiah chapter five, God describes Israel as his vineyard, his chosen people. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus is standing before them and he's declaring that he is the true vine. In other words, guys, Jesus is taking the place of Israel. We had always considered before that, that Israel was God's chosen people and that they were, through Israel, was their way to God. And Jesus is standing in front of them and saying that now he is taking the place of Israel. A relationship with God was no longer made possible through the nation of Israel. A relationship with God would now come through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, I'm the true vine, the genuine, the authentic, the real one, he is declaring that their hope would no longer be found in their heritage, it would no longer be found in their nationality, but it would only be found in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We move on to verse three, and it says, you are already clean. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Because of the word I have spoken to you, Jesus says you're already clean. What in the world does he mean by that? How have we been made clean? I can tell you guys that we've been made clean by the cross of Jesus Christ. We have been made clean. We have been made clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. By his sacrifice on the cross, we have been made clean. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, to present you holy. I lost it. Get me back there. No, get me back there. <laughs> to present you holy. Well, I just wanted to make a point of it. Now you'll never forget it. There we go. <laughs> to present you holy. <laughs> what does that even mean, to present you holy? It means to present you blameless. It means that you are now righteous. You guys, you, you say, well, I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. What does that even mean? Well, you want to see a righteous man? I'm a righteous man. Here's a side view of a righteous man. <laughs> now, some of you are saying, well, boy, that's arrogant. But the reality is I'm righteous not because of anything I've done. I'm righteous because of what he did. And if you want to see another righteous person, when you get home tonight, look in the mirror. Because if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, then in fact, indeed, you are a righteous person. You are blameless and you are holy. Not because of anything that you did, but because of everything Jesus did on the cross. And so if you're connected, and so the whole point he's trying to make with this illustration, if you're connected to the vine, then you are righteous as well. You are a sinner that's been made righteous. That's what Paul is saying in Colossians. A sinner made clean. In Isaiah chapter one, it says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Okay, let's jump to verse four. He goes on and he says, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit. Now this is really a big deal. Don't let any of this get by you. No branch, you and I are the branch, can bear any fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, guys, I think we love self-help books. We love to talk about dreaming big dreams and, and having a positive mental attitude. And as Christians, we oftentimes love to quote Philippians chapter four. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this. Some translations say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, guys, don't miss the point of this particular verse. It says, how? It's through him. It's through Christ who gives me strength. You know, I tell you that because in the world that we live today, there is this, there is this positive mental attitude that we can do anything we set our mind to and I can do all things and I can do this or I can do that if I just put my mind to it. And so as Christians, we oftentimes quote the second part of that verse and leave out the first part, that it's through Christ we can do all things. It's through Christ who gives me the strength. Our success will not be because of our own self-achievement, but because we're focused on him. So the only reason, the only reason we are fruitful is because of our connection to the vine. In order to accomplish God's plan in your life, you have to stay connected to the vine. Have you ever heard of people make the statement, he's well connected? She's well connected. Maybe you've made the statement. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe somebody's come to work there and you say, well, you need to get to know him because he's well connected. Or, or, or maybe you've said to somebody, I'll take care of it because I've got a lot of connections and so I can handle this. Or I know the right people. What, they mean, what do they mean by that? They mean they're saying that they have a connection, they have an acquaintance, they have a friendship with someone that can get things done. Listen, guys, there are just some things that are hard to do without some kind of a connection. Well, friends, when it comes to producing fruit in our life, the secret is being well-connected. Because just as a branch can't produce fruit apart from the vine, you and I cannot produce fruit apart from Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said? You will know that, he said, you will know them by their fruit. Matthew chapter seven, it says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. These are the words of Jesus. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. How can you tell, how can you tell if someone is a follower of Christ or not? Well, the scripture just told us you can tell if they produce fruit. Good fruit can only be produced when you're connected to the vine. You say, okay, Steve, you keep talking about producing fruit. I'm not sure I even understand what that means. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul talks about it. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So the evidence that we are connected to the vine 
Hear me on this, guys, because this is a big deal. Because oftentimes we think there's other things that demonstrate whether we're followers of Christ or not. But Jesus made it clear and Paul made it clear. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So the evidence that we're growing in our faith, the evidence that we're connected to the vine, is the fruit of the Spirit in our life. On the other hand, did you notice in verse 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And honestly, sometimes people read that and they're like, well, time out a minute, Steve. Nothing? No, just hold a minute. What do you mean I can do nothing? Maybe I can't do all things without Jesus, but I can still do some things. You know, I can hold down a job. I can earn a promotion if I work hard enough. I can get married and have a family. I can participate in a hobby. There's a lot of things, Steve, I can do without Jesus. But I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can't do anything, listen to me guys, you can't do anything of permanent value apart from Christ. You can't do anything of permanent value apart from Christ. In other words, when you come to the end of your life and you start to see the things, all the things that you've accumulated in life, they hold no eternal value. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Probably never, because you can't take it with you. There have been all kinds of people that have tried to figure out a way to take it with them, but you cannot take it with you. You'll never see that happen. Friends, if you don't have Jesus, the things of this world just don't matter in the scope of eternity. We work overtime, we work ourselves so hard that we get sick at times, trying to accumulate, trying to achieve, trying to gain influence and power, but the, but the bottom line is, when you come to the end of your life ready to take your last breath, the only thing of eternal consequences, the only thing that's ever gonna even matter that you can even possibly take with you is number one, your own soul. Number two is the people you love that you've shared Christ with that have, that have stepped across the line of faith because you were bold enough to do so. That's it. There's nothing else, guys, that you're gonna take with you. And so the only thing that will matter for all eternity is what you did in obedience to the Lord, what you did to fulfill his purposes in your life. Those who came to Christ, and the only way you will ever experience the type of peace or joy, listen, the only way you will ever experience the type of peace or joy or contentment that the scripture talks about is by being connected to the vine. You know, I've told you before that there are, there are thousands of promises in the Word of God, but every promise has a prerequisite. You know, we love, to, we love to point to the promises in God's Word. We love to stand on the promises of God's Word, but we do need to be reminded that every promise in God's Word, over 7,000 of them, everyone has a prerequisite. In other words, something that we have a responsibility to do, except for one, the only promise that doesn't have a prerequisite is God's love for you and me. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Otherwise, all the others have a prerequisite or something that we're required to do. God is faithful to do his part, guys, if we're faithful to do ours. In fact, 11 times in these 11 verses that we're looking at here say, remain in me, or if you remain in me. There's the, there's the prerequisite to the promise. Whenever you see that type of word, whenever you see if, it's telling you, this is a promise if you do this. This is the part you have to play. Some translations use the word abide. 
In other words, or if you abide in me. But both words mean to do what? Both words mean to stay with. So if you'll stay with God, if you'll stay connected to God, then you will see his promises fulfilled. Friends, listen to me, please. If there was no other issue I could get you to settle today, it would be this, to draw a line in the sand and to say, no matter what comes, no matter what comes my way, I will stay connected to the vine. No matter what difficulty, no matter what hardship, no matter what offense, no matter what physical pain I'm experiencing in my life, I will never walk away from my connection to God, never. Absolutely. See, that has to be an intentional decision. That has to be something that at one point of your life, you just settle that issue. You know, you, you just say, I, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to like everything that happens in my life. And some of those things are going to be extremely difficult, but I've made up my mind. I am never going to walk away from my relationship with Christ. George Whitfield was a great preacher in the 1700s throughout England. Uh, God used him in such a powerful way. In fact, uh, when I did the series here just a couple months ago, The Great Awakening, I mentioned him there as well. Because this movement, this season of history was called The Great Awakening and thousands of people responded to George Whitfield's preaching. Once after he finished a sermon, someone asked him how many people were saved tonight. He looked at him and he said, well, we'll know in five years. Well, no, in five years. Of course, the point that he's trying to make is that it takes time to see which decisions were simply an emotional response and which ones made a genuine commitment to Christ. There's a difference. Now, a lot of people miss the point on this next verse that we're gonna look at. They read it and they think no matter what we ask for, that God is absolutely obligated to give it to us. Look at verse seven. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And of course, what we see, we, we jump on ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see, the problem is we quickly point to the last part, and we ignore the first part. But somehow, the first part needs, we need to pay attention when it's saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Did you see it? There it is again, the word if. If. So once again, there's a prerequisite to the promise that God is giving us about prayer. God is always faithful to do his part if we'll do our part. Yeah, okay, Steve, I get that. But does he mean what he said? Does he really mean what he said? Can we ask God for anything and expect him to answer it the way we want? Well, let's break it down for a minute. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, in other words, if you stay connected to me and to my word, or the truth of God's word is now a part of you, or as I surrender my will to God's will, his wants then become my wants. Does that make sense? If I, as I surrender my will to God and I remain in him connected to the vine, connected to my relationship with Jesus, then his wants become my wants. I'm no longer concerned about my own selfish desires, but instead, I just want God's will to be accomplished in all things. So it begins to affect the way I pray. It begins to affect the, way, the things that I ask for. Let me give you another example of this. In Psalms chapter 37, it says, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Some translations say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean God will give you every selfish thing that you ask for. That's not what it's saying. But it means as you delight in the Lord, as you are, just as you have a, 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 an intimate relationship with your spouse, just as you have an intimate relationship with a, with a, with a, a child or a sibling or a f- close friend, as you delight yourself in the Lord, you remain connected to him. He'll begin to place within you the desires he wants you to have. For instance, I have a desire for my neighbors to be saved. I have a desire for the church to open more campuses and prisons. I have a desire to help children that are in slavery in the fishing industry of Ghana. I have a desire for my marriage to be strong. These are some of the things that I pray for regularly. And I believe that God has placed those desires in my heart. Are you starting to see what I mean? I believe that those desires are strong within me because those are the desires of God. And as I connect myself to God, to the vine, he begins to place those desires in my heart. So guys, when you are drawing, listen, when you're drawing your life from him, and he begins to produce fruit in you and through you, you will want what God wants. You will now begin to ask for the things that matter most to him. You you are lining your heart up with God's heart. That doesn't happen if I'm not connected to the vine. That doesn't happen if I'm not focused on him. Because the moment I turn away from him, then all my selfish desires begin to flow onto me again. You now, once you're focused on him, you'll now begin to pray for the things that please the heart of God, the things that please him. Verse eight, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So that God would be glorified. God is pleased when you bear much fruit. He's pleased when others see the evidence of a Christian, of a Christ life, a Christ-centered life, of a life connected to God. He goes on, verse nine, And it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus always delivers, guys, listen, Jesus always delivers what he promises. There's no greater evidence that Jesus is alive in our world today than a born-again, spirit-filled fruit-bearing, joyful Christian. Seriously, your life should become an advertisement, an advertisement for what it means to be a follower of Christ. When you're connected to God and people start to spend time with you, well, they're gonna want what you've got. They're, they're, gonna, want, they're gonna see something different in your life and they're gonna want to experience it as well. Verse 11, he says, I have told you this so... I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is a big deal. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's such a powerful statement. When you're connected to the vine, when you have a healthy relationship with God, you will experience a joy that you're not gonna experience in any other way. First Peter talks about it. Peter says, you have not seen Christ, but still you love him. You cannot see him now, but you believe in him, so you are filled with a joy that cannot be explained, a joy full of glory. I'm not talking about happiness here. 
You know, oftentimes I'll, well, I'll hear parents say, you know, all I want for my kids is to be happy. All I want for my kids, as long as they're happy, I, I'm happy. But that's not what we're talking about here. You know, we're, we're talking about joy. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Happiness is based on your circumstances. When things are going your way, you're happy. When they're not, you're not happy. When I, when I head out to work and all the lights are green, I'm happy. When I come home from work and all the lights are red, I'm unhappy. It's all based on circumstances. That's not, I don't, I'm not as concerned about my kids being happy. What I'm concerned about is that they experience the joy of the Lord because that joy is foundational. That joy is based on a right relationship with God. When you have a healthy relationship with the Lord, you're gonna feel joy regardless of your circumstances. Guys, it becomes the, it becomes a foundation. It becomes what your life is built upon. There's just a baseline of joy and contentment. So what about you? What about you? Do you feel that joy all the time? Several years ago, I had a, a tire um, that had a slow leak. And about once a week, maybe once every 10 days, I had to pull into a filling station real fast and fill it back up because it would just get too low. And this went on, I'm embarrassed to say, this went on for months. I mean, this tire, about once a week, once every 10 days, I'd whip in real quick and I'd fill it, fill it up with air again. All I needed to do was have the tire fixed and that would have taken care of the problem. But I'm just saying, some Christians are just like that. They often find themselves low. They often find themselves discouraged. They go to church each week to get filled up, but just a few days later, they're feeling low again because they haven't actually fixed the problem. They need to be focused. They need to be focused on the vine. But yet they've strayed away. Listen to me, guys. They've strayed away from true north. They've strayed away from center. They've strayed away from their focus on Jesus. They're not abiding. They're not delighting in the Lord. And once a Christian, once a believer decides to delight themselves in the Lord, to abide in him, to focus on him, they'll fix the leak. They'll do something about it. Listen guys, I'm not trying to, please don't misunderstand the point I'm trying to make here. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because you feel low at times. All of us get discouraged. All of us grieve, all of us get angry, all of us feel sad. We all feel low at times. But what this particular passage is trying to tell us is that even when you do feel low, if you're focused on God, you will still experience that underlying joy, an underlying contentment. Again, that passage in Peter said, a joy unspeakable that's full of God's glory. It's a joy that can't even be explained to the world. It's like how in the world, people look at you and say, how in the world in what you're going through right now, do you still have this sense of contentment? There still seems to be this sense of joy in your life. And you're able to say, well, you know, I am sad, but I do feel content because I know Jesus has my back because I'm standing between goodness and control. If you were here about six months ago, we did a series called Anxious for Nothing, and we talked about this. Some of you are here and you'll remember that. I don't want you to ever forget it, because here's what happens, is that 
A person that is full of worry and discouraged and, and fearful is because they don't trust God because they're not abiding in the vine, because they're not focused on him. And so anxiety overwhelms them, fear overwhelms them, because they've stepped outside of these two pillars in their life. The pillar that says, God's a good God, and he loves me, and he absolutely wants the best for me, and I believe that. And God is in control, he has my back. And because I know that he's in control, because I know he has my back, I'm not full of fear and I'm not anxious. So as long as I stand between these two pillars, as long as I stand here and know that, that God's got my back and that he loves me, then I'm gonna experience joy. I'm gonna experience peace in the middle of my circumstances. But if I stand out here and I say, well, you know, uh, um, I, know that, I know that God is good, I know that he loves me, but I'm just not sure if he's got my back on this well, then I'm, I'm not gonna experience peace. If I stand out here and I say, well, you know, I know God's in control, but I don't know how much he loves me. You know, I'm insignificant. I'm still not gonna experience peace. And that's why it's imperative, guys, that we make a decision, that we're intentional about saying, I'm standing between these two pillars. It's then and only then am I gonna be abiding in the vine. It's then and only then am I gonna experience that joy unspeakable that's absolutely full of God's glory. So guys, I hope you'll never, I hope that image will never leave your mind of those two pillars. Because I know, I know that he is on the throne and I know that I can completely and totally trust him. And because I know it, it brings that sense of joy even when I'm sad, even when I'm anxious, even when I'm afraid. And guys, to live with that kind of joy all the time, well, that's a powerful motivator. It's the kind of joy that makes you want to continue to grow in your faith. It's the kind of joy that makes you want to grow in your relationship with God. Let me show you what I mean. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing. He accepted the shame as if it were nothing why? Because of the joy that God put before him. He accepted the pain as if it was nothing. Because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right side of God's throne. Jesus accepted the shame as if it were nothing. He didn't let it bother him. Why? Because of the joy that God put before him. He knew that he knew all things would work together for his good. Certainly he knew that you and I would have difficult things in our future. He knew that you and I would struggle at times. And he wasn't promising wealth and he wasn't promising us material possessions. He wasn't promising us influence or power. But he was promising us something much better. He was promising us joy. Joy unspeakable that's full of God's glory. Guys, when you and I remain in Christ and we experience a joy that can only come, a joy that can only come from a connection with the vine, but you will never experience that joy until you first have surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, until you make sure that Christ is the focus of your life.
thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a pastor, please connect with us on our website or through social media. You can also find a Northview location to visit in person by going online to northviewchurch.us and then selecting the locations page. We're so glad you joined us today and we hope you have a great week.